Let's pray for God's blessing. Lord, we do look to your word now. We trust that you will send your spirit into our hearts to enable us to see clearly the Lord Jesus and what he has for us. We long to know him better, and we pray that through your word, you would teach us of his gospel. For Christ's sake, amen. You may be seated. Well, our scripture lesson this morning is Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, and you'll find that on page 842 and 843 of the Pew Bible, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. What does God want from you? Well, there's a number of ways to answer that question. We see in this particular passage uh, a foil, an opposite of what God desires from us. Uh, And in that, we understand a little better of what he does want from us. And so let me read for us here, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever would have what Ever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. A father went to a pastor 
being concerned about the type of music that was being played at the youth group at church, some form of secular music, and the father thought that it was inappropriate for at least his children and possibly the rest of the youth group to listen to that sort of music. The pastor looked back at the father and asked the question, how well do you love your wife? The man was surprised. What what are you asking me that for? The pastor said, how well do you love your wife? If I were to ask her to tell me, and if she were to be honest with me, what would she say about how well you love her? He said, well, what does that have to do with the music at youth group? He said, with sadness in his heart, you're so concerned about what kind of music the children will listen to, but you're not very concerned about how well you're loving your wife. We're very easily given over to finding external markers of what holiness is, of trying to find markers that identify us and maybe identify our group or our church or our family as righteous and holy. And sometimes in that we actually neglect real righteousness, real holiness, a concern for what God says is holy and good. You remember King Saul, the first king over Israel, who back in 1 Samuel, we are told that he is not a man after God's own heart. We are shown that in chapter 15. Saul goes after the Philistines and defeats them. And rather than obeying the command of the Lord, and the command of the Lord was simple, destroy everything. Take nothing for yourself. You remember when the prophet Samuel shows up and asks the question, what's this bleeding of sheep and lowing of oxen that I hear? In other words, he had disregarded the command of the Lord. Instead, he had said, well, I wanted to take some of them that I might sacrifice to the Lord, which is exactly what he did, which is against another command that God had given Samuel said, wait for me, wait for me before you do anything. Contrast to Saul, who was more concerned about the externals than he was the internal reality of love for God and honoring God. We see King David in the very next chapter where Samuel is going to the house of Jesse and God says, now I will anoint for you a man who will be king who will be king for me. And all the sons of Jesse come along and they're all tall and handsome and Samuel says over and over, is this the one? Is this the one? And what does God say? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And that's the concern that Jesus has for His people. And I think the thing that He condemns the Pharisees and the scribes for over and over throughout the Scriptures. You remember in Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus pronounced woe or curse after curse upon the scribes and Pharisees? And He said to them at one point, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. In other words, they have these little planter boxes. And in those planter boxes, they grow these mints. 
and dill and cumin, spices for them to use. And what do they do? They, they pluck off a tenth of each plant, precisely a tenth, so that they can tie that to the temple. He says, you're so precise in your obedience to the letter of the law, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness to your God. And it's attention to that kind of petty matters of the law without a heart for God is the thing that Jesus recognizes about the scribes and the Pharisees here. We see that the scribes and the Pharisees come to Jesus. The scribes have come from Jerusalem possibly to find Jesus uh, and trip him up in some kind of theological debate. And they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And Mark gives us in parentheses here a little bit of an explanation for that. He says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels, and dining couches. In other words, there's this ritual of externally cleansing everything, at least symbolically with water, to wash out the pots, not for hygiene purposes, but for religious purposes, to say this pot is not defiled, and therefore any food that comes out of it is not defiled, and therefore I will be holy and righteous because I'm only touching holy things and they washed everything that they could possibly wash now these were not commandments of god they were as we're told here traditions of the elders things that had been handed down among the people of god do this and you'll be holy and righteous now we speak of holiness too we we speak of loving god and yet Like the scribes and Pharisees, at times our hearts can be very far from God in our efforts to be holy. We speak of worshiping the Lord, and yet what kind of frame of heart do we come to worship Him? Sometimes we neglect fellowship with God all week long and then arrive at church and expect that all things are okay. Sometimes we arrive at church and We have unforgiven sin in our hearts. Bitterness towards other people. Unwilling to forgive others. Sometimes we're simply going through the motions with no real love for Jesus. At times we're proud of our giving, but we're actually very unwilling to submit to God and humble ourselves before Him. And that's what God wants from us. He wants our hearts. He wants us to give us, give Him everything and devote everything to Him. I ask the question, what does God want from you? It's the thing that the prophet Micah tells us in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He's told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to love justice, to love mercy, and to walk faithfully with your God. It's the thing that is pictured in the Gospels with the episode of Mary and Martha. You recall that, don't you? Where 
Jesus arrives at their house. Martha is busy preparing supper, getting all the details ready. And there's Mary at the feet of Jesus, just listening. And Martha comes and says, now, now Jesus, instruct my sister Mary to get busy helping me. I'm the one who's here slaving over the supper, getting things just right as they should be for you. And Jesus says to her, now Martha, there's only one thing that's necessary. And Mary has chosen it. She has chosen the better portion, he says. To sit at the feet of Jesus. To love Him. To honor Him. To submit to Him. To trust Him. See, there's a difference between a heart that is busy keeping all the externals and a heart that has the internal reality of faith and love for Jesus Christ. And that's the thing that Jesus indicts the scribes and Pharisees over. He says in verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, holiness is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the externals. Like that man who came to the pastor and said, now I want different music at worship or at at youth group, but had neglected to love his wife well. Now we need to ask the question this morning, who are those who honor God with their lips? Let me mention several things here. First, it's those who set up their own laws of holiness. Verse 8, Jesus says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to to the tradition of men. In other words, They have forsaken God's commandments and now they've erected their own commandments and standard of what is holy and righteous and good. And he gives them an example of this. Verse 9 and following. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. He's citing here the commandment That we are to honor our father and mother. That's what comes from God. But he says, you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban. That is given to God. Now, what the Jews would often do is they would take a, a segment of their income or of their property and they would say, I'm going to devote this to the Lord. It sounds righteous. It sounds holy, it sounds good, and it looks good to everybody else. But here's how they would twist things. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Now here's what Jesus means. There's no social security in those days. There's no Medicare. There's no government assistance. If you wanted to be cared for in your old age, You had to lean upon your children and family to care for you. But if your son or your daughter had devoted everything as Corban to the Lord, now they could hide behind that command and say, I won't give you a dime to care for you because everything I have devoted over to the Lord. 
You see how they had erected their own commands? And in doing that, they were no longer obedient to God's commands. And so here he's giving an example of people who set up their own laws of holiness, those who reject God and yet never really come to Him in faith. My friends, we in the church of Jesus Christ erect laws and rules and multiply them on top of each other. We've done it throughout the ages. Whether it was in the time of, of um, the great fundamentalist movement, we will have no alcohol. There'll be no guns. There'll be no R-rated movies. We won't listen to certain types of music. We'll set up a list of rules of all the things that are acceptable for the people of God. We erect laws and rules of our own rather than laws and rules of God. And sometimes those laws and rules of our own come in conflict with what God says. And that's exactly what he's describing here. We do it in our own day. There are only certain types of schools that are approved. There are only certain types of books that we are to read and there are better books than others. And if you're really righteous, you're reading the right kind of books on my list. There are rules for worship. There are better ways of worshiping God, better music, better liturgies, better this and better that. And we erect our own ideas, even though the New Testament gives us no clear prescription of a liturgy for worship sometimes it's parenting techniques certain parenting techniques are approved and other parenting techniques are not approved there are political parties that are more righteous than other political parties or at least political movements that are better than other political movements we are prone to doing this to creating our own set of rules of what's holy and in the process neglecting the weightier matters of the, law, of the law. You see the irony here? The irony is if we think that if we come up with our own rules and abide by those rules, then we'll be holy. If that's true, we've lost all sense of what holiness is. Holiness is defined by the character of God. And therefore, He defines what holiness is. And how foolish we are if we think by creating our own set of rules, we can be holy and righteous in His sight. Now, we may not admit to doing this, but these things function in our lives in a variety of ways. Sometimes we feel better if we're within our own parameters and are within our own rules of what we think is good and righteous. And in doing that, we're simply reducing God's commands and His holiness. Now, I'm not throwing out wisdom in these areas. If R-rated movies are difficult for you to watch, by all means, don't watch them. If the internet is a great temptation to you, by all means, turn it off. But the problem is, when we have elevate those human rules to the divine level, and we say everybody else must abide by them. And if I keep them, well, then I'll be accepted by God. And it makes the Christian life seem a little bit more manageable. 
It's easier to succeed because we can define success in very simple terms. Here they define success in washing their hands. If I can just wash my hands before every meal, well, then I'm holy. If I can just keep my rules, well, then I'm holy. What we're doing is making holiness attainable. Hand washing doesn't impress Jesus. And neither do our rules impress Jesus either. So there are those who set up their own rules of holiness, but there are also those who compare themselves to others. Here we see in verse 5 the question of the Pharisees. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? This is the temptation that goes along with erecting our own rules of righteousness. Well, then I can begin to evaluate everybody else by my rules. I can begin to discern who's really on the inside. Who are those people that really want to be holy and righteous? Who are those people that are like me? Who are those people that are clean that I can associate with? Because maybe they're clean too because they keep my kind of rules. And like the scribes and the Pharisees here, we, we end up going to people that we think will sympathize with us. That's in a way what they're doing with Jesus. Why do your disciples do this? Maybe thinking that he'll agree with them and rebuke his disciples for what they're doing. And sometimes we go to people and we begin to talk about others. So and so, do you, do you see how they're living their life? Do you see how they're not keeping our rules? We begin to gossip. We begin to speak of other people as if we're holy and they are not. And finally, it's those who actually love themselves more than they love God. That's what's inherent here in Jesus' words in verse 6. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? Hypocrites. You know what hypocrites referred to in the ancient world. They were actors. They wore masks. They pretended to be people that they were not. That's the very thing that Jesus is saying of the Pharisees. You're hypocrites. This hand washing. All these external rules that you come up with are like a, a mask that you wear and you pretend to be somebody that you are not You're performing for others. You know what it's like to say things about maybe what you've done recently in the name of the Lord. Just so other people will recognize what you've done. So that other people will maybe give you a little bit of approval and a pat on the back. We've all done it. We've all just sort of let things slip out of the kind of service we've rendered to the church or to a neighbor or to someone in need just in hopes that maybe they'll say, wow, that's wonderful. Or at least they'll think, wow, now that person's a really righteous person. And my friends, that's all about love for self. That's why Jesus could say, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's what it looks like to honor God with our lips. What does it look like to honor God with our hearts? 
Who are those people? Well, I think it's simply this. Those who, people who understand that their hearts need to be purified. Jesus tells the people as they gathered together in verse 14, called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. You see, the Pharisees had assumed that something out there is what's going to make them defiled. And Jesus is saying, no, it's something in here that makes us defiled. We are by nature as sinful creatures defiled in our hearts and morally dirty. And all the rules that God had commanded, the laws of purity in the Old Testament were simply to be signs pointing to the reality that Israel needed clean hearts. And what the Pharisees had done here is they had taken those rules of purity and they had extrapolated new rules because if a little does a little bit of good, well then a whole lot will do a whole lot of good. And they had missed the thing signified and they had grabbed hold of the sign itself and they'd said, these rules will make me holy. They'd missed the reality to which these signs actually pointed. And the disciples failed in their understanding of this too. Verse 17, when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? He's saying to his own disciples who've walked with Jesus, they've heard of his teaching. They've seen him cleanse lepers to be signs of purity that God would bring in the heart. And he's saying, now do you not understand this yet? Because you see, the person who honors God with his heart is the person who does understand that what I need is a clean heart that only Jesus can give to me. And Jesus reveals all the wickedness that's within us. He says in verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. You see, it's not something out there that's going to make us unclean. In fact, I'd say what Jesus is telling us is everything we touch out there will make it unclean. Because we are unclean. You remember how Jesus defined the law in the Sermon on the Mount? Speaking of the internal reality of the commandments of adultery, murder, that if you've lusted after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery. That if you've hated someone in your heart, you've committed murder. Let me ask you this. How many times have you committed murder over the course of your life? According to Jesus' standard, once? A hundred times? A thousand times? How many times have you hated somebody? Have you ever thought of yourself as a mass murderer? How many times have you committed adultery? Once? A hundred? 
thousand? How many times have you stolen something? How many times have you stolen a, a little object? Or stolen recognition that belonged to somebody else? How many times? Once? A hundred? A thousand? Jesus is saying here, everything that's within, now that's what defiles you. That's what makes you unclean. That's what makes you dirty. And more than that, how many times have you tried to fool God? Living externally as a Christian, but on the inside, you're rotten. My friends, we need to be those people who see clearly that what we need is for Jesus to cleanse our hearts. Every known sin has a, in seed form some place in our hearts. I can remember Sally and I developing a, a new flower bed in our yard in Columbia. And we tilled it up. We added all new soil. We churned it all together. And within no time, weeds began to crop up. Why? Because there were still remaining seeds left over. And even in those who trust in Jesus, there are remaining seeds of sin, of every possible sin, of slander, of deceit, of coveting, of envy, of pride. It is all there. And the person who wants to honor God is the person who says, now Jesus, cleanse me. Purify me. Take it all away. I no longer hide behind this mask of false righteousness. I no longer want to judge other people according to my rules. I no longer want to erect my own rules of holiness. But I want to honor You. And I want to do everything that You ask of me. Because You and You alone are able to save. Do you really want to know God and honor Him? That's the question today. Or do you want to appear to know and honor Him? To make a good showing of it to yourself, to others, even to God. That's the question we need to wrestle with today. And I would encourage you to wrestle with it. To what extent do I really want to know God and honor Him? Or to what extent do I just want to appear to know God and to honor Him? I think Jesus gives us a word of hope here when He speaks of worshiping God. I think here what we find is the key to having our hearts cleansed. There's an expulsive power of true worship that we come to Jesus and we bow before Him. And we recognize that unless He gives grace to us, I have no hope of being holy and righteous. And when we bow to Jesus and say, Your evaluation of me is right and true. Please give me grace. That is when our hearts are cleansed and made right with God. And so what He's saying here is, 
come to me and I will purge you as you worship me. Stop worshiping yourselves. Stop worshiping your image of who you want to be and worship me. And when you do, I will cleanse you. In a few minutes, we're going to come to the Lord's table. Come with a heart ready to be cleansed, purified, that you might honor Christ by trusting in Him. Let's pray together. Our God and Heavenly Father, we do turn to You. We confess that at times we are much like the Pharisees and scribes who would seek to erect our own rules and measure ourselves by them. Oh, it's so easy. It makes looking upon ourselves as holy much easier because we can define our own success. Forgive us, Lord, of holding to our own traditions. And let us see clearly our own hearts the way Jesus sees them. We might turn to Him and trust Him and honor Him in our worship. For Jesus' sake, amen.